Well, thank you so much for that amazing singing. Okay, before we go any farther, um, I don't expect my, my children to call me Pastor Tim, so my daughter-in-law, Rachel, you don't need to call me Pastor Tim either. You can call me sir. I'm just kidding. That's, um, yeah, yeah, please call me Reverend. That's exactly. Do you revere me? If you don't revere me, don't call me Reverend. That's my daughter-in-law. I can't believe I have two daughter-in-laws. How fun is that? Um, thank you for joining us here. Um, hey, have you guys ever seen one of these? Do you guys know what this is? I, Austin told me it was called something else, but I call it a what? Oh, it says it right on it, actually. I, a perplexus. I call it a maze ball. When my kids were little, they, like, these were all over the place. Quick show of hands. Who's played with one of these before? Okay, so, so many of us know what it is. Here's what it is. There's a, a three-dimensional maze that's built in here, and there's a marble. You can probably hear it rolling around in there. And the idea is you put the marble on the maze, and then you got to, like, turn it and twist it to get the marble. Let's see if I can. Can I do it? What do you, th- what do you guys think? Can I do it or, or no? Okay, I have, there's no confidence. I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> so, so little confidence in Pastor Tim. That's fine. Um, I don't have any confidence in me either. But the way, what you do is you twist and turn it, and the idea is that you make the marble go through the maze from the beginning all the way to the end. And this one, it actually starts out pretty easy, but as you go farther and farther, it gets more and more difficult to the point where there's not even like rails on the outside. You just kind of got to balance this thing on this little piece of plastic. It's, it's actually very, very challenging, I think. Some people, when it comes to finding God's will for their life, it feels an awful lot like a maze ball, where it's like, hey man, there's this like, we got to get from A to B, but it's really tricky to get there. It's really difficult to know what God wants for me. How do you figure out what God's will is for your life? We're going to try and answer that question a little bit today. If you uh, are just joining us, you may not know that we are just start. Well, I think I mentioned it earlier, actually. We're just starting a series through the book of Colossians. It's, we started it last week, and it's going to take us all the way down through uh, till, till Advent starts. So we're going to be in Colossians for quite a little uh, while. And uh, yeah, we are going to see what the Apostle Paul says. He is writing to this, this church, this group of, of new believers, young believers, who he's never met. Most of the letters that he wrote that were collected in the New Testament were to churches that he had started, but he's never met these people. And he has this really interesting letter to them. And what we're going to see is that um, he's going to pray for them, a very, some very specific prayers. He's going to pray that they would know God's will for their lives, for their lives. He's going to pray that they would not figure out their way through the maze because God's will is not a maze. God's will is amazing. You're welcome. You can remember that later. If you have your copy of God's word, open with me to Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Colossians, in one, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. If you don't have your copy of God's word with you, you can just grab your little uh, brown Colossians book, and the text is all in there for you. Um, as you're turning to Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, we say every week that it's at Blue Water, it's so important to have your own copy of God's word. Let me just say this, that um, uh, for, for a long time at Blue Water, as our kind of uh, our base translation that we were using uh, was the New International Version. And I always used the New International Version because Pastor Doug, who came before me, always used the New International Version. Well, Scott wants to use the uh, English Standard Version, and um, we're going to be using the English Standard Version from now on. So that's going to be kind of our base translation. Uh, and this is what Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9, says. The Apostle Paul says, and so, 
from the day we heard, in other words, the day that, that, that he and Timothy and those that are with him heard about this church, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right, so we're going to walk down through this whole passage together. But notice what he said at first. He says, I, I haven't stopped praying for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, do you think that Paul was exaggerating when he said that? That he hasn't stopped praying for them? Because it's interesting, not only does he say that to the Colossians, but he also says the same thing to the Philippians and the Ephesians and the Thessalonians. He says, I haven't stopped praying for you. And, and when I hear that, I think, oh, it's Paul just being, I don't know, like a little, what's the word? Just like, is he exaggerating a bit? You haven't stopped praying, Paul? You know what? I suspect that he probably hadn't stopped praying. I, su I suspect that he probably prayed without ceasing. And here's why I think that. I think that because Paul understood how powerful and how effective prayer is. See, here's the thing. I can tell in my own heart and I can tell in someone else's life when they don't really think that prayer is that big of a deal. Do you know how I can tell? Because they don't pray. And any time I find in my own life that like, oh man, I'm really not praying like I should, I have to reorient myself. And the, the, the problem that I find is that, oh, I've forgotten that prayer is actually a powerful thing that prayer is actually an effective thing. Not to get my will done in this world. If I'm trying to pray to convince God to get my thing done in this world, that's not really what prayer is. That's like, like magic, trying to get the divine to do what I want him to do. No, no. But when we understand what prayer is, we, it's, it's natural that we actually pray. And we want to be a church that prays. This is why we we. I'm saying we as if I had much to do with it. This is why we got John Bennett to, to spend a bunch of time and energy to create this prayer app that I was talking about. Because we want to be a people of prayer. We want to be a church that prays. And so, listen, I, I really hold out to you to, to get on that app, to, to figure that out. And if you need any help, let us know, because we would love to get you connected. I know for me, the past, uh, how long has it been? Like a month, two months that we've been kind of beta testing this. Um, it's been really helpful for my prayer life, and I hope that uh, it will be helpful for you as well. How's, how's your prayer life? Do you actually believe that prayer is a powerful and important thing? Since we know that, listen, we all need help in this area, right? How about we take a few minutes and look at what Paul actually prayed for for the Colossian church? Let's break down his prayer. Let's look at the things that he prayed for for these people that, that he had never met so that we can incorporate these things into our lives, into our own prayer life. And it seems to me that there are actually four categories that we can divide this up into. Let me see if, do you, let's see if you're awake. Hold up the four. Can you hold up the four for me? All right, so we got some of you are, are willing to do that. Um, 
There are four categories that we can divide this into. And the first one we can see in verse 9. He prays that these people would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, Paul prayed that they would know the will of God. How do you know the will of God in your life? Does it feel like it's a, does it feel like it's a, a maze that you're, that you're trying to navigate through? It's interesting when we look at this, it doesn't seem like Paul thinks that this is a mystical thing. He's not telling these people to like, just stand back and, and let this, you know, wait until there's a voice from heaven that tells you what God wants you to do. It seems like Paul really expects that we would engage our minds, that we would use our gray matter in order to actually help us to understand what God's will is. Now, I think it's helpful that we um, think about God's will in, in two different categories, okay? So, so think with me on this side, in this category, there's what we're going to call God's special will for us. And what that is, is like, like who I'm going to marry and what school I'm going to go to and what job am I going to take and what house am I going to live in and when am I going to retire and, and like the, the, the intricacies of our life. Um, and on this side, we're going to call God's moral will. And this has a lot to do with how God expects his people to live. And we tend to want to know all the details. We want a roadmap through the maze ball for the, the, the details of our life. But many of us don't seem to spend a lot of time thinking about how God wants us to live, the, his moral will. The problem is that God is really, really open with how he wants us to live. He has made this part of his will really clearly known to us, but this part, generally he withholds that. Generally, not always, but generally he doesn't give us the roadmap. What he does do is he gives us just enough light for us to take one more step because his word is a lamp to our feet and delight to our path. So he'll give us what we need for the next step, but most of the time he doesn't give us the whole roadmap. In truth, God is quite happy to reveal his moral will to us while keeping the details of his special will secret. It's only in hindsight when we have walked this journey of our life and when we start looking back, that's when we can see, oh, I see how God was at work. Oh, I see how that decision led to this and this and this. Oh, I see how that difficulty that I wouldn't have chosen for myself actually caused all of this that actually worked out for his glory and for my good. It's in hindsight that we can see it. But having said that, there are at least five things that we can know God's will for us. Are you ready? So I got five things. So we got four categories of Paul's prayer, but we got a separate thing here. Five things that we can know God's will for us. Here's the first one. We can uh, know that it's God's will that we be saved. Number one. It's God's will that we be saved. Now, does this guarantee that everyone will be saved? No, it doesn't. But it is God's will that we be saved. Uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We'll throw it up on the screen for you. And it says this. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's number one. Number two, the second thing that we can know God's will for our life, it's God's will that his people be sanctified. Now, that word sanctified, it's a big word. It just means set apart to be holy. So when we say it's God's will that his people be sanctified, what we are saying is that it's 
God's will that we are set apart from everybody else and we live in such a way that, is, is that we glorify him. We don't live the same way that everybody else does. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says this. We'll put it on the screen. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he goes on and, and he says uh, that you abstain from sexual immorality and he continues. Also, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, we'll put it up as well, says, even as he chose us in him, so God chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So, it's God's will that we should be sanctified. Number three, it's God's will that we should be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What's the will of the Lord? And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What we see here is that it's a matter of control. What Paul says is, don't be controlled by another substance. Don't let a substance control you. Rather, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit control you. Okay, number four. The fourth thing that we can know is God's will for us. It's God's will that we stand firm. There's going to be things that come into our life that are not going to be fun, that are not going to be easy. And it's God's will that in the middle of those things, we stand firm. First Peter chapter two says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In first Corinthians 15, it says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. The last thing that we can know is God's will for us. And this is the part that nobody wishes was true. The last thing that we can know is God's will for us. It's God's will that his people will suffer. If someone told you that the Christian life that following Jesus means that it's going to be an easy road. They didn't tell you the truth. It's God's will that his people will suffer. First Peter chapter four says, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Second Timothy chapter three says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone wishes that wasn't true. But if you want to follow Jesus, this is what you know is going to be part of your life. Are you ready for that? So point one. Paul's prayer for the Colossian church is that they would know the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Point number two, the second part of Paul's prayer, we can actually see it in, uh, back in Colossians 1 verse 10. It says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's prayer is that these people would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, of course, he's not talking about, like, your gait, right? He's talking about how we live. But did you know that psychologists can actually tell a lot about a person just by their gait? Did you know that? Um, people who walk fast and determined and in, a, in a, like, a very straight line, those tend to be um, driven, type A uh, type of people. 
And it's probably not surprising that those who, whose gait is a little more slow and kind of meandering, they're um, um, a little more laid back, they're a little more easygoing. And actually, this, this kind of blew my mind. Multiple studies have shown that when people walk, um, people who, who struggle with anxiety, they, they pull to the left. <laughs> Everybody does it. I'm not really sure why. Uh, when you walk, if you're struggling with anxiety, you'll pull to the left. So if you find yourself bumping into the person on your left, it might be time to relax a little bit. Um, of course, Paul's not talking about our actual gait. He's talking about the way that someone lives their life. And we need to live our life in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. Now, the word in the original language that's translated worthy, it's actually kind of a, a cool word. Um, the word is, uh, is axios. That's kind of a cool word, isn't it? Can you say that? Axios. That means uh, worthy. And what it actually means in the original language, it means um, to be of equal weight. So, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, what that means is we're going to walk, we're going to give him the weight in our life that he deserves. Okay? The problem is what you see all the time is people who claim the name of Christ, who don't walk in a manner that is, that is giving God the weight that it should. We see people who are trying to walk like, with one foot following the Lord, but one foot following the word, or the world, rather. As if we can, like, merge the cross with any of these other symbols that it doesn't work that way. It ends up being a very awkward situation. For those who follow Jesus, listen, I'm telling you so clearly, we can't have one foot in each, in, in following the Lord and one foot following the world. We need to expect that, yes, we are going to suffer. Of course we are. But we need to give the Lord the weight that is due him of our life. We can't be wearing these symbols of things that God hates and things that, that, that are harmful to humans and also give God the weight that he deserves. Paul's point is that there is no neutrality. As a matter of fact, in... Revelation chapter 3, there was a church that very much tried to do that. They tried to walk with one foot following the Lord and one foot following the world. And what Jesus said to them is that, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm actually going to vomit you out of my mouth. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. We need to walk worthy of the Lord. Now, Look back at the text, because when we walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God, the natural result of that is two things. We're, Paul says we're going to bear fruit, and we're going to grow in our knowledge of God, which is actually kind of cool. When we actually follow the Lord, we will see that we're going to bear fruit, and we're gonna, going to grow in our knowledge of God. My question for you, and my question as I look at my own heart, my own life, is do I see fruit and am I growing in my knowledge of God? And if not, I need to be taking a hard look at my soul and asking myself some difficult questions about whether I am walking in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. Okay. Point number one, that Paul prayed that they would know the will of God for their lives. Point number two, he prayed that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the third point, uh, we can see it in verse 11. He is going to pray that they would be strengthened for the difficult journey of following Christ. Look at verse 11. He says, being strengthened with all power 
according to his, his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. There's this cool little play on words in the original language because the word uh, strengthened and the word power is actually the same word. It's actually the same word that we get our word dynamite from. So you could actually translate it um, being empowered with all power or being strengthened with all strength. It's kind of a cool little word play. And what is this power? It's actually God's glorious might that's at work in us who believe in Jesus by faith. It's his glorious might that gives us endurance and joy. Have you ever heard the little saying that um, God will never give you more than you can endure? God will never give you more than you can handle? Have you heard that? This passage actually shows us what a lie that is. Because not only is God perfectly happy to give us more than we can handle, more than we can endure, but he regularly does so. But for those who follow him, what we see is that when that happens, he also gives us his, his strength in order that we can endure it with joy. Some of you um, are walking, have walked through seasons. Some of you are walking through seasons right now where what you're doing is, is learning to endure with joy. What you're learning is that, that in order to get through this difficult season, you have to trust the Lord. And you, So there's two options. You can either grab this thing by your own hands and, and try and wrestle this difficult situation to the ground, but you're going to make yourself and everyone else miserable at the same time while you're doing that because you just have to have control. Or you can trust the Lord and trust in his timing, trust in his strength to not just help you to endure it, but to do so with joy. So, Paul's prayer is that, number one, they would know the will of God. Number two, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Number three, that they would be strengthened for the difficult journey of following Jesus. And number four, that they would give thanks to God for transferring us from darkness to light. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There is maybe nothing in our psyche, the psyche of those in our culture, that is more harmful, I think, than the lack of gratitude that we have. You've heard me say before that we live with so... Every one of us lives with so much bounty and ease that kings and queens of not that many generations ago did not live as well as the poorest of us. And yet, rather than all of our great abundance stirring up thankfulness in our hearts, I think the thing that characterizes the hearts of, well, myself and those in our culture is probably envy. Like, rather than being thankful with how much the Lord has blessed me, what I see in my own heart is like me being too quick to go, oh, look at that guy's car. Why, why can't I have that guy's car? Or look at that guy's guitar. I say looking at my son who just bought a guitar yesterday. <laughs> or look at that guy's Fill in the blank. I mean, whatever the thing is, right? Rather than being thankful for what I have, I am so envious of others and it is so rotten and gross in my own heart. 
How much of our anxiety would just dissipate if we would be overwhelming, if, if we would choose to be overwhelmingly thankful for what we have, for, the, for what God has given us in his great mercy and in our great abundance? How many of the relational breakdowns that we have would just fall apart if we would stop being envious and just be overwhelmingly thankful for what we have? In 1863, President Abraham Lincoln said this. This is 1863. He said, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and persevering grace and, and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God who made us. And if he said that in 1863, we have seen the results of that attitude bearing fruit in our culture. Gratitude is the antidote for so much of what ails us. Okay, we have to keep moving here because we are running out of time. Famous, uh, the famous Welsh preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, uh, so, so Martin Lloyd-Jones was the, uh, one of the most uh, well-known pastors in the world in the middle of the last century. Okay, Before he became a pastor, he was actually a medical doctor, and he told of... The Spanish Civil War, which was the conflict that immediately preceded World War II. And he said that before the Spanish Civil War, the hospitals in Spain were filled with people who had all kinds of neuroses like anxiety and depression and, and that sort of thing. But he said once the Civil War started, an amazing thing happened. That the, the hospitals actually emptied of everyone who struggled with those type of neuroses. Because it seems like the, like, I want to be careful with my words here, um, and I hope if I don't say this right, I hope you can hear a pastor's heart, what I'm meaning here, right? But, but it seemed like having the, the real specter of maybe a father or husband or brother who might not come home, or maybe not having a home to come home to, that those type of things actually put in perspective um, those who were struggling with these other types of neuroses, like anxiety and depression and that sort of thing. He said it was actually pretty amazing to see how that happened. And I found a similar type thing in my own life that like, listen, just being straightforward, like I'm a, I think a fairly even keeled guy. I don't get too high. I don't get too low. That's not to say that like there are times when I get in my own head, there are times when I struggle with my thinking and that kind of thing. And invariably, what happens when I get into that type of situation, when I um, see some, like a genuine thing in my own life that's, that's an actual, like a, a really difficult thing, or when I'm walking be beside someone in church, you know, as a pastor who's walking through something really difficult, boy, that gives me some perspective. That allows me to line my thinking up with what is true. Do you lean into the Lord for strength in following him on the difficult road of following Jesus? Do you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him? Are you trying to wind your way through the maze ball of trying to figure out God's will for your life, or do you trust the Lord? 
may we be those who do exactly that. And like Paul prayed for those people that he had never met in the city of Colossae, may we trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you that you have moved us from darkness to light, that you didn't just save us from darkness and leave us there. No, no. You, you moved us from darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that you love. And we love that. And we are so thankful. And God, I pray that you would help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, who's our Lord and Savior. It's to him that we give all glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, friends. You're loved.